So now we're going to go out across the moor. Yeah. This is a private track, but I've got permission to use it. Yeah. So there's no rights, public rights for vehicle to drive yeah. out there. But we can go out there, which is nice because it allows us to do a bit of off-roading and get out and, and see the heart of the forest and also talk about Lorna Dune. Yes. Now David and I were in Dulverton a few weeks ago and we saw the pretty little statue of Lorna Dune in Dulverton and talked about her. In front of the workhouse. In front of the workhouse, yeah. yeah. And we talked about Colburn Church earlier in Porlock, which is accessible by foot. And that's where Lorna Dune had the fateful marriage, isn't it? When they were doing their wedding vows. Down Old Church, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Old Church, not Colburn. Um, and uh, that ended in tears, didn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> what I'll do, I'll just summarise the story for you in a minute. So you get a brief idea for those that haven't read the book. But the forest out here was used for um, a lot of military training uh, years ago. And we, we had American soldiers here, thousands of yes. them, before the invasion of That's France. That's right, they planned D-Day. Yeah, the authorities were a bit worried. All these soldiers would be chasing all the ladies around the villages. So they brought them up here and gave them a few guns to play with, keep them out of mischief. And they had big artillery guns, doing a lot of shelling. But they had no target to aim at, so they evacuated a farm right in the middle of the forest called Lark Barrow, or Larkborough, as locals pronounce it. Used it for target practice and blew it to bits. Nice. And it's oh, never really? been rebuilt. <laughs> so if you walked out, it's a bit bumpy here, guys, oh, so hold on. Hey. Got a few puddles. <laughs> I just, do love a puddle. <laughs> yeah, splashing up in front of the disco. Um, so, yeah. We're on a bit of a rough off-road track at the moment. Yes. So when they were doing all this shelling out here, they, they blew up this um, farm called Larkborough. Uh, and it's never been rebuilt. I guess it probably wasn't very profitable, so it wasn't worth rebuilding. But if you, you can walk out there and still see it today. I mean, if I show you a, a picture, you can see the re remains oh. of the old farm buildings, which is just a pile of rubble today. You can see oh, the yes. field boundaries quite clearly yeah, on this aerial shell. photograph that I'm showing the guys. And then you can see the shell holes yeah, peppered like all over the place. Yeah, little depressions all around the farm, all over the moor where all this uh, shelling was going on. So uh, let's just hope um, there's no unexploded shells lying around. Yeah. Uh, and when was that then? That would have been in the war years, 1940s. Oh, right. They so were, like um, they did, you know, mm. we've talked about that planning that they did on North Hill with the tanks. Tanks, yeah. For D-Day. Yeah. So when they were doing all this shelling, the authorities were also a bit worried they might blow up the ancient monuments like the cairns and the barrows on the tops of the mm. hills. So they marked them with metal stars. Oh, I've and seen a couple of those. Yeah, there's one over here on our right. Yeah. And yeah. we passed one earlier. We did. Yeah. That, yeah. That, so those stars were put up for that reason. And so they weren't to blow those up. There's two stars left today. Yeah. Mm. And we've just pulled up beside one of them, which is right on top of a barrow on the uh, west side of the forest. It's still got a bit of a spotty rain coming down, but visibility is quite clear. Mm. So we'll go out and uh, let's talk about Lorna Do because that is um, a book that really put Exmoor on the map, written 150 years ago by Richard Blackmore. He wasn't an Exmoor man, but he used to come and stay here quite a, le quite a lot, and, and he learnt an awful lot about Exmoor. You know, he had family down here, and he stayed with them. They, they told him the old stories about Exmoor, and all the rogues that used to live here, and he learnt all about that. And um, he also was a keen walker, so he walked all around it, and he got to know it very well. And he used all this information that he gleaned from his stays on Exmoor 
to come up with this story, which was a very clever blend of fact and fiction. <laughs> and it centred around the dunes. In the book, the dunes are a family of Scottish aristocrats originally. Wealthy men, large estates, lots of money. But there's a big family dispute and half the family lose out under a man called Enzadun. End up homeless and penniless. So that's why they leave Scotland. Come down through England looking for a new place to live. And they find Exmoor. And this deserted valley in the middle of the Exmoor forest. And they think this is an ideal place to live. So they move in, build a home. They don't want to work for a living because they're not used to working. So they begin to rob and steal from all the local people. They're big, strong men. They're well armed. They're totally ruthless. Try and stop them. They'll shoot you down without a thought. They've got the magistrates and the lawmen in their pockets, so nobody can stand up to them at all. They can do whatever they want and get away with murder, literally. So the locals keep out their way, let the dunes take whatever they want. But the dunes aren't happy. They want to get back uh, the estates that they have lost. So they come up with a plan. They target a young girl called Lorna Dougal from another Scottish aristocratic family with large estates and lots of money. And her family have been travelling around Europe. And while they're away, the father gets killed in an accident, which leaves Lorna, her brother, and her mother. So the three of them uh, are in their coach with their servant, travelling home along the north coast of Exmoor. And they get to the outskirts of Watchit, and they're attacked by the dunes. The coach is turned over, and everybody's killed. All apart from Lorna, who is only three years of age at that point. So she is kidnapped by the dunes and brought back to the valley because they know, as the, as the only remaining family member, if she survives to uh, an age when she can inherit, she'll inherit the whole family fortune and be an extremely wealthy young lady. And their plan is to wait till she gets old enough to marry, force her to marry Carver Dune, who's the eldest son of the second in command. And when, when she's married to Carver, he will wait till she gets old enough to inherit her family's estates and at which point Carver then will present her to the authorities and as her husband claim her estates because back in the 1600s any property of the woman becomes a property of the husband of one marriage and that's what their plan is, that's what they're up to. Because Lorna's taken so young, she quickly forgets who she is. She grows up thinking she's a dude, uh, when of course she's not. They don't tell her who she is, they don't want her to know because she might work out what they're up to. So she's growing up there, always feeling a bit of an odd one out not really knowing why, and not being very happy because she doesn't want to marry Carver Dune. And then one day she goes walking down the valley and bumps into a young farm lad called John Ridd, or Jan Ridd as he's often referred to, and he's been going up the valley fishing, and they strike up a friendship. And then after that they secretly meet at this secluded spot at the bottom of the valley on a regular basis without the Dunes knowing. And they maintain this friendship right through their childhood, through their teenage years, till they become adults, when of course eventually then they fall in love John Ridd rescues her from the dunes, takes her back to his farm where she lives with his family and they're all very happy. The dunes are furious, they decide they've got to get her back, so they mount a raid on his farm to get her back, but he's ready for them, he knows they're coming. So he's got his men well armed and dug in, he's got the local militia on his side as well, and when they attack, the dunes get a lot more than what they bargained for, and there's a ferocious gunfight, the dunes get an absolute pounding and they have to retreat. John Ridd after that, marries Lorna in all church, and everything's going nice and smoothly. He's still at the altar with Lorna and the vicar, getting married. 
Suddenly the door bursts open and in stormed Carver Dune, who's absolutely furious that the wedding is taking place. He stands down the end of the aisle and he pulls out his pistol and he shoots poor old Lorna, who falls to the ground. Carver runs out the, runs out the church, jumps on his horse and then gallops away up here over the forest to escape. Followed by John Ridden Hot Pursuit, who catches up with him, pulls him off his horse and they fight on the moor. And they're both big men, there's not much in it, but the difference is John Ridd's grown up working the land. He's got a strength um, and a robustness that Carver simply doesn't have. That tells in the end, he gets the better of Carver and he picks him up and he throws him down into a bog where start Carver gets stuck fast and sucked in under to the mire till he's disappeared. That's the end of Carver doing. John Ridd goes back to the church where he finds Lorna still alive. They get the bullet out, nurse her back to health and live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. And that is basically Lorna Dune, but that is about 660 pages in five minutes. Yeah. So that is the short version. Potted Dune. Brilliant. But it does save uh, listeners from reading the book, which I did try to do, and I have to say, it's interminable. It's quite hard to it is, it is like reading, well, it, it, it's, it's not a joy to read, let's just say. Um, so... Andrew, you've saved people a lot of time. And there's a couple of films of it as well. The BBC did one, um, and I think you, there's one on Netflix as well. None of them were filmed in Exmoor, sadly. I don't think they were, no. no it was Scotland, wasn't Scotland. it? Scotland. Mm -hmm. And uh, that did make people quite unhappy. In fact, there's not a lot of filming of um, in Exmoor even when the event itself happened or yeah. allegedly happened to us fictional. Not right, is it? Not no, I, I don't know why that is actually. Um, but yes, there we go. It is, it's beautiful, but it is quite remote actually. I think if you were to bring an enormous film crew, you'd struggle to put them up. So where we are now is on this rough off-road track, yeah, pools rough. of water, the ground is very undulating, it's a little bit bouncy. That's a gentle description of it. It's, it's, <laughs> it is very bouncy. Few potholes. Thankfully you've got good suspension. Yeah, it's where um, air suspension comes oh to it. Oh my god, what a difference it makes. Mm. Yeah, you don't want to be in a rickety old defender going down here because it does do your and back quite in. a few puddles because of all the rain. Loads of puddles. The water's splashing up over the vehicle. And lots of birds are coming up from um, the ground here where we, when we go by. haven't seen another Skylark. We might do. And it's lovely orange mud. I do love this. From the iron, isn't it? In the yeah, I think that's what gives it, it its, its colour. Yeah. yeah, Steve was telling us about that on the Asparagus podcast. So who would use this track then? I mean, well, only the farmers, really. Yeah. Farmers and the Exmoor cats. Yeah. That was it a big puddle. Splashed up was, over the window. We couldn't really see. We couldn't see very that much was a, that Not was that I like to let on that, that I couldn't see anything, but we managed to get through <laughs> well, it all right. We did. Yeah, it's very orangey up here, isn't it? And it's um it's real, it looks like I would call this tundra. You know what I mean? It's mm. that um it's gorse, it looks like there might have been a fire up here a few years ago actually and the gorse is recovering slowly. And some heather and some sedgy grass and it's very wet. And not, not just the rain, I mean you can see the ground is wet underfoot. It 
it's amazing to get this different perspective on Exmoor. I was just thinking that because we talk about Exmoor so much, David, yeah. and most of our traversing Exmoor is done in a, a VW or a Jimny. Yeah. Isn't it? Or a smart or, car. Or a smart car. Yeah. So um, this would be out of the question. I might try, I would do it in the Jimny because it's a 4x4, but this is a private road, so we couldn't do it. Yeah, I think I'll leave it to the professional. Oh God, I wouldn't <laughs> want to be driving it. I'd be really worried about, particularly that the chimney's tiny. You go go in a hole, you might not come out. Yeah. <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be stranded up more. <laughs> they'd be, all they'd see is the roof rack. <laughs> With um, full of um, laundry. Slowly <laughs> sinking. Like, we got a king size duvet cover and towels in here. Sounds okay. like Dawn French on the Vicar of Dibley <laughs> yeah. she jumped yeah, in the puddle. Exactly. With Richard Armitage on my favourite. My little Amour, Richard Armitage, yes. That Somebody so would good. find us eventually just wrapped up in a duvet, protecting <laughs> us against the elements. And I'd be saying, You'd probably there's, be mummified no, by there's that no protector on that duvet. I'm not very happy about that. <laughs> you haven't done the, the, the buttons up the right way. <laughs> I'm always saying that to Jackie. She says, oh, how do I do the button? Like, it's this way, over the top. I'd be saying, no, no, sorry, we can't use that because the buttons haven't been done. <laughs> OCD, it's attention to detail. It's a different thing. God, it is wet up here. Well, this is what Blackmore played on, you see. Uh, yes. What, what he did, when he, he's a very descriptive writer. Yeah. And when he describes this part of Exmoor, he really labours the point about its remoteness, mm. the barrenness, the bleakness. And, and uh, it's the, all of the, the rain, the damp, the fog, the peat, the bogs. And he creates this picture, this very dark place in the middle of Exmoor, habited, inhabited by these dark men. And yeah. it works very well. Well, as indeed. you say, there is a ruggedness, there's a, an atmosphere. I would say there's a romance to it. You know, it's very um, romantic. It's lovely. So there you are, now we're looking right up the Dune Valley and you yeah. can see the rain coming in, and but you've still got good visibility and you get a real feel for the atmosphere of the Exmoor Forest when you look at it like this. And you can see it firsthand. Not the sign of any human habitation no. anywhere. No. And no animals, or no. none that we can see. We can't see anything. I mean, there might be some honey not so you can walk the valley and down in the bottom there's the remains of an old medieval settlement which people like to walk up and have a look at and imagine that was the doom camp years ago. Uh, what we'll do on our safaris is after telling people about the Lorna Doom story we'll explain the background to it and we'll explain how Blackmore uh, used fact and how he blended it with fiction and we'll also tell people about some of the characters in the book. John Ridd was based on a real man who lived here uh, when he wrote the book, um, as was Farmer Snow in the book. And then there's a wonderful character called Tom Faggus, mm -hmm. who was also based on a real man who was around in the 1600s on Exmoor, who was a very famous highwayman and had a famous horse called Winnie. And uh, he's in the book as well. And a lot of what he tells you about Tom Faggus is probably based on fact passed down through stories over the generations. So what happened to the real highwayman, do you know? Well Tom Faggus, um, he was originally a farrier on Exmoor 
and then it was circumstances that um, turned in him into a highwayman. But yeah, he, he was a bit of a Robin Hood character. Right. So he always left the ordinary people alone, which yeah. is why they loved him. Yeah. And he only plundered the aristocracy and he plundered them relentlessly. And there's lots of stories about him. And we try and tell people those stories to give them a picture of what life was like back then. Um, and these wonderful characters that were on Exmoor and did he end up at Alex of years ago. Well, that would be giving away oh, okay. uh, the end of the story, wouldn't right, it? And, uh, well, you're just so going to have to come have along to again. Well, that yeah. is a big old puddle we're coming up to now. Hold tight. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. listeners, you really do have to come up here on a wet day. It's really good fun. It is good fun. Oh, I wondered where the road was yeah, going to go Yeah, I thought, then. oh my god, we really are going off road. And now we're going on to <laughs> the land. The windscreen wipers are going at a lick. There we go. Yeah, so although it is a bit bumpy, you can probably hear uh, the vehicle uh, as it goes across these rough tracks, the air suspension really comes into its own and takes the sting out of it. Yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to miss this as part of your safari. This is uh, absolutely, absolutely wonderful. And it means you can get to places you're never going to go to really on your own. I mean, I have to say, Orr is one of my favourite places on Exmoor. I've got a lot of favourite places, but I do love the Lorna Dune Valley. And Orr is just such a beautiful drive. And it's a beautiful little church. And there's that lovely bridge, you know, the little pack horse bridge. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be a tight one. Um, but it, it's a love that's a lovely trip and if you go in the autumn you come down through there over the bridge and there are pheasants hundreds of here we go again hold tight hold on <laughs> hundreds of them um just walking along the road like they're out for the afternoon to be careful I think this would be great if you were half terming it with the kids and you come down here and you've got little kids in wellies and cagoules or anoraks and you're going through because you know there's nothing like a puddle for jumping in is there and it's just so much fun in the car and I do think as, as we were saying that the holiday season is different in Exmoor we get people all year round walkers, people who come to see the wildlife, people who come for the views and um, this is just a nice thing to do and I d you see things in wet weather as well, you do see more birds I think sometimes, Quite, we've seen quite a few up here and you're always going to see the views aren't you, Yeah. unless the wet, it's the stair rods. Yeah, you I don't go out when it's terrible rain, do you? No, but it's got to be pretty bad to stop us from going. Yeah. Fog is obviously one thing, there's no point yeah, going you know at all because you won't see anything. anything. But normal rain like today, you yeah. see, we've had a reasonable bit of rain. It's come, the, it's come had, and gone yeah, today, it has, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been but even showery. when it's fairly heavy, you can, as long as you've got that visibility, Absolutely. Uh, you can still have a good trip. 
I've yeah. done some of the best trips I've ever done in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Should we go fast? Fast. Yeah. Okay. I think uh, I'll just hang on. Are you going to wind the window up? <laughs> you are. I'm going to wind mine up and put yours down. <laughs> <laughs> you could get out and film it the other side if I you want. I could actually, but how am I, I like going to get over there? There's a bridge there. Or I could film you going I, that I way. I would just film it through the windscreen. It reminds me of that scene in An American Werewolf in London when they go in the pub and everybody turns around and looks at them. Yeah. There's a pub there where that very thing happened to me and the person I was with. And it was it, it was just so funny, but actually quite frightening as well. It was funny when we left. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, there's just something like, you're not from these parts <laughs> in, down here. But it, it's beautiful, this area. Absolutely stunningly beautiful. And I think the National Trust has just bought the Lorna Doon Valley, hasn't they have, it? Yeah. Yeah, they and have, I yeah. think more people will start to appreciate it as a result um, because I just don't think enough people know about it. No, because you drive by, don't you, on the A39 you do, again? And you another... see, um, you see the words Lorna Dune Valley and you think, oh, I bet it's really commercialised and naff. And of course, it's not commercialised at all. Not at all, no. And, and, and it, it's not naff. It's stunningly beautiful and the walking is incredible and very varied you know you start on this flat plain alongside the river and there are streams and gullies and a lot of bird life and some sheep and then you can go as you walk up you can choose whether you want to walk through farmland or you want to carry on through the countryside it's absolutely amazing we could come out to Orne eh? so yeah. around the corner we've got Orne Church yeah and this is the one that uh, features in the story yes where Lorna gets married and then shot on her wedding day. It's a beautiful church. It's a lovely village. I'd love to live in Orne. Mm. It's well worth a walk around yeah. uh, if you're ever in the area oh, as well. Oh, we're doing it's, some work here. It's um, really nice inside, very attractive. Uh, quite simple on the outside, mm. uh, but inside it, it's lovely. And it's got lots of um, interesting uh, pieces inside about the author, Blackmore, and about characters in the book as well. So that's the East Lynn River there. Right, uh, okay, so that's the Devon Lynn. So you've got East Lynn comes from this side, West Lynn comes from the other side to Lynmouth, and they meet just in front of the town. Mm. And those that are the two rivers meet. that caused the, the, the problem mm. uh, in 52 when Lynmouth flooded and about half the town washed away. 30, 34 people yes. were killed. In the middle of the night. Exactly, yeah, mm. terrible flood. Oh, uh, the horse. Yeah. yeah, just having a good look at what we were up to. That's a nice it is, place. Oh, that's interesting. That. Wow, lovely white Georgian. Georgian, would you say? I would say. Yeah. Looks a bit like a chapel. It does, it, with those windows. Yes, maybe those windows, it was at one time. It may have been, yeah. This is a pretty little cottage. Stone cottage. Oh, that looks like that would withstand pretty much any weather. The old schoolhouse there. So there's another example of what you were talking about earlier, Andrew, these areas that feel to us remote and deserted, right. which would have had a population big enough to fill a school. They probably walked quite a long way by to get to school. Oh yeah, I bet they did. Several miles mm. in all weathers. We've just gone through a couple of old stones. You see there's one yes. stone here, yes. yeah, yeah. there's one the other side yeah. that's been knocked it over. It's a bit like a standing stone. Uh, the stones were put up um, as uh, gateways right. in John Knight's time. 
when he bought the forest he put uh, a lot of these stones up as stone gate posts mm -hmm. i guess because they would last longer than timber and were they and most of them are gone now there's not very few very few left this was a charge no I this wasn't a forest gate this was just a standard gate okay yeah trying not to get wet in the car so robert's bridge is pretty narrow very uh, narrow. one of the narrowest on exmoor mm. if not the narrowest so you've got to come out at swing out wide and come at it dead straight you as have. you can see a lot of people don't because it's constantly being yeah. whacked and yeah. reconstructed as it is at the moment i can see you've done this before andrew just as well this is incredibly narrow and it's also very low i came over this in the bmw and um that was quite scary actually say, yeah that must have been a bit i was with karen and uh, i just i did the same breathing so this is lovely in the autumn, Robert's Bridge, because yes. uh, we've got a r whole line of beech trees along this hedge and they overhang the road, creating this tunnel effect. Mm. And when the leaves change colour, um, you'll get everything from dark tan to light gold. And it is like driving up a tunnel of colour in the autumn. Yes, and especially on if you get a sunny afternoon and when the, the light hits these colourful leaves, it's an amazing display. One of the prettiest places on Exmoor to come in the autumn. Yeah, it's beautiful. So now we're going to pull up a very steep bit of road to get back to the coast road. Just toot around this yes. one, it's a very tight bend. Tight. And we're going up for another bit of um, ancient wood. Um, these trees are mainly sessile oak here. They're smaller than the English oak. Yeah. They grow well in cold wet climates and poor soils. And they've got Perfectly very suited for gnarled, gnarled, curly branches, haven't oh, they? Oh yeah, absolutely um, uh, contorted. Contorted, And it, yes. it creates a very sort of spooky effect yeah. in the wood with these sessile oaks. It reminds me always of um, Lord of the Rings. Uh, when the hobbits go on their long journey and they walk a lot through woodland and I think this is how it would be and if they'd have filmed it here it would have been perfect I mean New Zealand is good too um, for some of the other bits but I think this is just beautiful one solitary that. fox glove look at that and then that, we're looking at the last valley on the um, east side of the forest we come right across the forest now yeah. and we're coming back to where the forest would join the Honeycutt State Do you know more people who live here should do this? Yeah, I agree. Shouldn't they? To really look at the sheep Hello, looking people. out of the rain. Getting some um, shelter under a little tree. Yeah, a tiny little hawthorn bush. Yeah, a lot of people that live around Exmoor, they, they drive to various places, probably on the coast. They use the main roads, mm. but they don't get away from those places. And uh, sometimes I think they think that they know Exmoor, but actually there's an awful lot. That they, that they haven't been to, that they haven't seen, that they don't know about. Yeah. And I, I take out people that have been coming down here for years. And because we go to the more remote parts, uh, quite often they'll say, you know, I know, I thought I knew Expo quite well, but actually you've taken us to places that we've never been to before. And but even if they know them, I think what they get is the background, the history and the information about the flora and fauna mm. and the wildlife, which they didn't know and helps them put up put the picture together and the landscape suddenly starts to mean something yes, to it them make, much it makes more. sense and also how people lived on Exmoor and survived because there are times when you feel like this is a purely you're okay this way if you're quick there's a car coming 
no, it's fine. There isn't. Um, how you know how they survived and how how they lived because it was so much based on on the land. And also, when we were talking about the highwayman, circumstances changed economically, didn't they? You know that there was wool, there was fishing, and those things didn't survive forever. People had to adapt. There's always been farming. Now, what way are you going to go? The toll road? I think we go straight down Paul Lock Hill. Yeah, Paul Lock Hill. Here we've got the old AA box. So the last numbers Where's I that? heard of, well, there was only 17 of these left. Because of course there were hundreds of them at one time. You no, know, I've never noticed and, that. Um, really? This AA box is I a listed building. Never so they can't actually that. take it away. Yeah. Because of its connection with Porlock Hill, Porlock Hill being long and steep where yeah. cars used to break down, it was essential for the AA box years ago, so before people had mobile phones, they uh -huh. could phone for help. And that's why it was here. And it obviously it's got this strong connection and people didn't want it removed. Mm. So it, it was listed. So they can't actually take it away. It was recently renovated. I think it, they well, took it away to do that. But it, yeah. it's, so it's now looking in very it good condition. Amazing. Um, I was reading about the history of the AA. And when it first started, they had men that used to... There's always Exmoor ponies on that bit of the toll road. Yeah, here, always here. here. Yeah. That's, you're guaranteed to see them here. Um, that the, they used to have men who waved flags and stood in the road to warn motorists that there was a speed trap coming up. Oh really? Yes! So it was really quite a different association. I mean it was very, you know, when it was first done, first launched, because very few people had cars. So we're, we're back <laughs> on the coast, um, close to the Bristol Channel, yeah. and we're at the very top of Porlock Hill, where there are two more very ancient stones probably Bronze Age, called the Whitstones, and they are in an extremely prominent position at the top of Porlock Hill with this amazing view from Hurlston Point right round to Dunkery Beacon. So they must have had some great importance, the Whitstones yes. up here. Yeah. What they were for, we simply don't, don't know. know. But when you look at where they are, you can see that they're in an, an area and a position with an outstanding view. And they're just over 50 yards on our right, you just see the top of the Whitstones there. So oh, two, yes. two yeah, stones yeah. that would have been upright side by side. Right. Now back behind them is a stone road um, and also a stone circle. So maybe they were connected with that, we don't know. Maybe there was some kind of gateway entrance to the stone road that led to the stone circle for some kind of ceremony or ritual. Again, we're speculating, no, we don't really know. But it's interesting to go look at these things and then wonder what these people were doing 4,000 yeah. years ago. Now if you didn't know that, you just think that was two stones, wouldn't you? Or you'd never see them. Or you wouldn't even know them. Probably most people wouldn't even see them. No, I've no. never seen them. They're set back on the road. This road yeah. they? They're only just above the heather. But that's the importance of doing a tour. It's why there's a tour around Dunster for the same reason. That you come to a place and you appreciate the beauty of it, but you don't really understand the history of it. No, just want to dig a little do, bit deeper. To do these things and, yeah, just know a bit more about a place that you love. I always think about how people managed this hill pre-car. You know, the old stagecoach stage used coach. to come up and down, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they I've had certainly seen photographs bit, of them going down. Yeah, yeah they did. Um, and I think they probably came straight up as well. I have heard that they hitched up extra horses. Yeah, I, that, that's they right did. They not, had eight know. horses, because mm. I think normally they'd have four. Yeah. 
and they took eight to come here. If you go into that museum at Alaford that we yes. pulled in earlier, yeah. they have got a little model of the stagecoach that, that went up uh, between sort of Porlock and Lymouth. And they've also got a photograph, I seem to remember, on the wall of the stagecoach coming down Porlock Hill around that sharp bend. Mm. It's fascinating to look at it. Yeah, and, and I think quite it. a lot of the cargo was moved not on road but by boats, which would have been quite dangerous too. Things just took a long time, didn't they? You had to be patient. You didn't have Amazon Prime. There's the escape lane, so if you do get into yeah, trouble, you can go up there. Lane. It's a bit like um, the one um, to Linton. Oh, coming down Canterbury Hill. Yeah. Oh my God, that one. But you, you see the tracks in the escape lane and you think, oh, I wonder what happened there. Two ship pubs are good. Top ship, bottom top ship. ship. Bottom ship. Here's the top ship. Spent my childhood in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the top ship's the one in town, and the bottom ship's the one at the bottom at the weir. People often ask That's me about that. That's your cottage you talked about. There's Myrtle yeah, Cottage. Really fond Very of that. Pretty. And you've got the church. Very pretty. Um, with the top of, looks like the top of the the tower's missing, the turret. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, the story goes, apparently there was a, a giant years ago here and he was in a very bad mood one day and he snapped the top off of the church spire and Porlock. Well, that's bound and then to be he, true. And he stuck it on Colburn. Right. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that so that's why right. Colburn had the little, little turret. Oh, there's the, the old tannery the right through there. Yeah. yeah, that's right, down there. That's where they, it must have stunk the whole town out. You think oh, about yeah. tannery oh, were know, very smelly. Pond, mm. And right. this was right sort of in the middle of the town, on the west yes. of the town. The prevailing weather's this way. Yeah. So the smell must yeah. have been yeah. right across the whole of the town. Well, the Romans always had theirs out of town because mm. of the, the Romans did used something else, didn't they, for their leather working. Oh, that's um, Annabelle's shop Annabelle's, there. yes. She does a, a lot of spinning and weaving and yep. making her own cloth. And there's the amazing um, uh, Zhang's, yeah. Zhang's, the Thai uh, guy who's on YouTube. Really good. And um, a very good pizza place here on the... Great pizza place mm -hmm. and a good butcher, Clive Downs, been there a long time. Yeah, so... And this bar is always open, which is really helpful. And there's a decent amount of parking in the car park. And that lovely Dover, Dover uh, Manor Museum, I always think that's a pretty building. It's tight though, around here, driving-wise, isn't it? Yeah, that's the only thing, it can be a little bit in place. can be hairy. When it's busy, um, not just like Dunster, passing, mm. you have to be patient. You're in a, you know, an old area where the roads are narrow and they weren't built for cars. So you go out in all weathers, apart from weather warnings, you do, and fog, you don't do, um, all through the year, and you can take up to six people, and our guests get special privilege, you come and pick them up, don't I'll you, pick them from up where from the they door. stay, yeah. and drop them off, That's so right. it couldn't be easier, and if you want to bring a flask of tea or coffee, we have flasks in the cottages as well or you can stop somewhere for a comfort break. And today we didn't do tar steps, but you would normally do tar steps, wouldn't you? Quite often. It depends yeah. how things go. Yeah. We try not to be rushed. I'll, yeah. I'll try and just do one trip a day if I can. Yeah. Um, because then that 
gives me more flexibility I mean, we've to just take a, a bit longer if we want to. Yes. It depends on, on people. I can quite often tailor the trip to suit them. Yes. So if they're more interested in birds, we can do spend more time doing that. If they're more interested in deer, we can spend time to do that. Or and the ponies or photography. You yeah. do, um, so you can tailor the special it. rutting season ones. When do you do those again? Yeah, that will be uh, throughout October yeah. and the first two weeks in November. Yeah. So our standard trips are half day trips, generally morning and afternoon. Yeah. Well, the morning ones tend to be a bit, bit better, so most people tend to go for morning trips uh, of about four hours. And then we also do photography trips for people that are into taking photographs and we can uh, go uh, to wherever they want to go, do whatever they want to do. So it depends on their speciality, if it's, if it's wildlife, if it's ponies, if it's deer, uh, if it's birds. Or if it's scenery, well, obviously, having grown up here, I know the best spots for the scenic views, the good places for the sunrises and the sunsets. Um, so we can adapt to suit uh, with the ph photography ones. And then the rutting ones through October, early November, we're going out early in the morning, about seven o'clock start. So it's not for everybody, it is an early start. But because the deer are nocturnal, it, it is best to get out there. You stand. Uh, the greatest chance of, of seeing action if you get up early and go. As the morning goes on, the deer will quieten down and your chances of seeing anything reduce. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with nature, isn't it? You know, so they're you, a bit um, shorter. They're about two and a half hours, the, yeah. the deer rutting trips. If you read about wildlife photographers, they spend days, weeks, months observing one family of beavers or you know, um, owls or something, to get two or three minutes of photography. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's and a lot of work to go into Huge amount. Mm. So, you know, to go out for two and a half hours to see wild deer rutting and to see them is amazing. And we've seen, today, we've seen a lot more than I expected we'd see. Mm. And it is good because they're the biggest wild animal in the country. Mm. So oh, the, the ponies are big, but of yeah. course they're not technically wild. No. So the deer is the biggest wild animal. The stags, you know, they can be some size. They're probably four foot to the shoulder. Then you've got the neck, another foot or so. Then you've got the head and the horn on the top could be another two and a half, three foot. So to the top of the horn, you could be talking eight, nine foot. Wow. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big animal yeah. and it's quite an imposing animal. And when they're rutting, they're very bold and very aggressive. And when they're roaring as well, um, you know, it can be quite intimidating sometimes to, to see them, but we, we all, we're always safe, we're always in the vehicle or close to the vehicle. Um, so uh, the majority of the time, they will keep out your way anyway. The, the, the stags that uh, pose more of a, a danger to people when they're rutting, I think, are the farmed animals and the ones in parks, because they've lost a lot of their fear of people. And, and hence there's probably a higher risk that they might charge you then but the the wild ones still have this fear so as a result they tend to keep out of the way but we would never put anybody um, in danger anyway then like I say you're normally in the vehicle or very close to the vehicle so the heavens have opened and uh, we've certainly had the best of the weather up on the moor and uh, around about Exmoor today with Andrew from the Red uh, the Exmoor Redstack Safari. So a huge thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much for your time. No problem. Lovely to meet you both. It's been really good. We've really enjoyed it. And um, we've seen all sorts of amazing things. And we haven't got that wet. No. 
No, we've hardly Given been the out rain, of the car. We've barely left the car, which mm. has been great. And we saw some amazing deer, which I'm really chuffed about. Some yeah. stags. Yeah. Yay! It's been amazing. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, yeah no uh, problem. Couldn't we seriously couldn't have done it without you. No. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Cheers. you.